this is a, a passage of scripture that has always been encouraging to me, uh, but at the same time, it's always been very challenging to me as well. Uh, Philippians, of course, was, uh, was written from the Apostle Paul to the church at Philippi, and uh, it was written uh, different than some of Paul's epistles. We see, especially in uh, Corinthians, how Paul addresses a lot of problems at the church at Corinth, how that there were a lot of things taking place that was not right. In other epistles, we read about false teachers, we read about the Judaizers, we read about uh, all of these different groups that Paul often addresses in his epistles. Uh, but the epistle to the Philippian church is, is very different. Uh, it has a very uh, uplifting, a positive type message. Uh, not only so, but uh, the Apostle Paul does not address any specific theological, doctrinal errors that the church was engaged in. Uh, and the theme, as uh, many have pointed out, the theme of Philippians is rejoicing. Uh, Paul wrote uh, the book of Philippians from a jail cell, from prison. Uh, most people believe that he was imprisoned at Rome during this time, and as we'll see in a little bit, uh, he was even in fear of his life. In the first chapter of Philippians, we see that. But Paul was writing to the church at Philippi to, to strengthen their Christian faith, to encourage them and to challenge them uh, regarding living the Christian life, uh, honoring Christ. Uh, we see uh, several awesome features from Philippians. Philippians one twenty one: for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Uh, hopefully that is our prayer uh, today and that is our attitude towards living our lives. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, we see uh, what's referred to often as the, the Carmen Christi, uh, uh, a song that it was sung in the early church regarding uh, Jesus Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. We could go through all of that. But in Philippians uh, chapter 4, scripture gives us, I, I think, a a message that is very helpful for us, uh, very necessary for us. And uh, the, the, I guess the topic of the, the sermon today is the, the cure for anxiety. The cure for anxiety. The, an, another portion that we'll be looking at in, uh, in this passage today is the importance and the necessity of an active, vibrant life of prayer for the believer. And so why don't we, uh, we dive in, and uh, the first thing we're going to look at from this passage, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6 and 7, uh, Paul specifically warns about anxiety. He specifically commands, he says, do not be anxious about anything. So we'll see the warning against worry or anxiety. The second thing that we see is uh, the command or exhortation to prayer found in the latter part of verse number 6. And the last thing we'll look at this afternoon is the effect uh, of a prayer life in the life of the believer. So um, that being said, why don't we uh, look directly into the passage. Uh, starting in, in uh, Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 6, Paul makes no bones about uh, his, his attitude or what, what truth he is trying to convey to the believers at Philippi. In fact, he says it flat out. There is not a, a suggestion, there is not a a hint or an inference made, he comes out and clearly makes this statement and he says, do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything. Uh, this word anxiety um, means to have anxiety, to be anxious, to be unduly concerned. Uh, others have defined it as to be troubled or to care for something. Uh, this was actually one of my favorite verses when I was growing up. Uh, the King James reads, uh, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And uh, I was a very rambunctious little kid. And my favorite spot in all of the, uh, the, uh, the church properties was on, up on top of the roof, actually. Uh, one of the, the leaders in the church, um, she was a nurse uh, for many, many years, and I had been scolded by her, if it's been once, it has been hundreds of times. And inevitably, the, with the, the imperfect and completely flawed timing I have, I would be on that roof just in that specific spot right when she walked out. And one of the buildings of our church property, uh, right when you walked out the door, you had a perfect view of the roof, and that's typically where she caught me. And she would always say, get down from there, you need to be careful. 
And I would always throw back in a very snarky, uh, disrespectful way, well, the Bible says, be careful for nothing. And um, unfortunately, she did not set me straight on my uh, misunderstanding of the Bible in that regard. But this word careful, the, the Bible shows us that as believers and as human beings, as, as fathers, mothers, spouses, we have an obligation to care for our families and to be careful in that regard. But there is another type of care that is not commanded in Scripture. It is not inferred in Scripture. In fact, I think it is forbidden by Scripture. And that is the attitude that is full of care and full of worry and full of anxiety and fear because of our certain situations. Uh, As it's uh, defined in the secular uh, dictionary, anxiety means a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. And I think we could all think back into our lives at different scenarios or choices that needed to be made or um, things that were up in the air that were uncertain, that were not nailed down, and, and we can recall some of the anxiety, some of the stress, some of the fears that we naturally as human beings have. So how is it so difficult? Why is it so difficult for human beings to just simply not have any anxiety about anything? Why does Paul tell us to the church, and as we're hearing it, it says, do not be anxious about anything. And as I even read it, I said, sure, that's going to happen. There is a a feeling of uh, inevitability that comes with anxiety and comes with stress. Whether it be uh, purchasing a home, moving, um, fixing up your house. I know a couple of people are going through some of this right now. Uh, Making repairs to your house, uh, situations at work, uh, promotions, uh, interactions with coworkers, trouble with your boss. There are so many things in our life that, that put stress upon us as humans. But in another sense, we do not live in this world as an island to ourselves. We are to be a light to this world. We are not only humans living out our lives, we are believers. We're children of God. As I um, read this passage, this reminded me of another passage, uh, Matthew chapter 6. If you turn with me there, Matthew chapter 6, and we'll get back to Philippians in just a bit. This is reminiscent of the Sermon on the Mount. Here Christ in in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 had retreated into a mountain. His disciples were come to him and he taught them uh, all that's contained here in these three chapters. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse number 24, we see some similar terminology and a, a similar theme Jesus is is teaching his disciples here, and he says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I'm sure you can see the, the parallels between Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, and Christ's teaching here in Matthew chapter 6. There's some very interesting things that, that Christ points out to his disciples here that I think we would do well to listen to. 
Uh, we first see that God provides for all of nature. Uh, the illustrations here are giving about the, given to, about the birds. He's saying, why are you concerned? Why are you anxious about the food? Consider the bird. How He doesn't sow. He doesn't reap. He doesn't store up in his barns. But your father feeds them. Aren't you better than they are? He also uses the illustration of the, the grass and of the lilies. He says, why are you considering about clothing? Why are you anxious about all this? Consider the lilies. Uh, they don't toil. They don't spin. They don't make the clothing for themselves. But, and this is the really interesting part. The Bible says Solomon in all his glory was not clothed or arrayed like one of those. And then he, he kind of drives this point home. And he does it pointedly. And I, I can only look at my own life and be convicted uh, by what I find here in this following verse. He says, If God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? And it's this last part that really gets me. O you of little faith. What Christ is saying here is that in order for us to be anxious about our life, to be anxious about our provision, to be anxious about all of these superficial and uh, seemingly petty things, although necessities they are, for us to be anxious about these things in our life displays an inner lack of faith in God. He says, why are you doubting this, O you of little faith? Christ promises also that he will provide these things for his people. Seek you first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and all of these things. I've heard this verse taken out of context. I'm sure you have as well. Well, man, if you seek the kingdom of God, he will provide you all things. And that is completely and many times plucked from its context of food and clothing and uh, shelter and the water and the things that God has promised here in this, in this text to mean all sorts of things, luxuries and lavish lifestyles. That's not what Christ promised. Christ has promised to provide So why is it so difficult then? Why is it such a struggle for us as believers, those of us who have faith in God, those of us who have trusted him, who continue to trust him? Why do we struggle with anxiety? In the life of the believer, anxiety is a very prevalent emotion. I would dare say it's one we encounter on a daily basis one that we struggle with, one that we fight against, and sad to say, in many times, one that we yield to. We tend to separate the larger sins, so to speak, from the smaller sins, and we say, well, anxiety and fear and worry, that's a small thing. At least I'm not committing adultery or killing someone or lying to my boss or to my spouse or doing a whole plethora of other things. But folks, when it comes down to it, this sin of anxiety is, is a sin against God. It is a lack of faith in the Lord. We see this in everyday situations, as we've already mentioned. Food, clothing. We think of school. I don't know about you, but when I was in school, I, I always was completely stressed out the week of exams, you know? And I'm, I think that's a natural thing. We get, we get worried, we are, we're upset, we're not sure how everything is going to work out. We want to make sure that we hold everything together or uh, term papers that are due, writing assignments, all of these other things. We, we fret about them, we stress about them. We stress about our home life. We stress about that car payment or the transmission that just went out or that raise that went to somebody else when you actually deserve it. In everyday situations, we stress. Not only so, if we don't stress in the small situations of everyday life, we often tend to yield in the bigger situations. When our child is diagnosed with a severe illness, when our father or mother pass away, when we hear about famine and wars, terrorism, the brevity of life. We think about all of these larger things and we often, at that point, succumb to anxiety and stress. One thing I thought was interesting when I was reading this is, what did Paul have to worry about when he wrote this? I, I, 
Paul was in a much worse place than we are today. In fact, I couldn't think of a much worse place than where Paul was. He was in prison for preaching the gospel. As a servant of Christ, he was thrown into prison. There, in prison, he wrote this epistle to the Philippians. And in the midst of all of this, over 15 times in the book of Philippians, he refers to joy or rejoicing. How could he do that? Not only was he in prison, but he, I, I think he was uh, thought that he was near death. Philippians chapter 1, if you turn there for just a second, Philippians chapter 1 and verse number 20. Let's start at verse uh, 18, the latter part of 18. He said, Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Many people believe that Paul was imprisoned and even potentially near death at this point. Being threatened with his life, he says, whether by life or by death, I'm going to glorify the Lord. I'll honor him. So the question remains, in what circumstances is it appropriate for believers to be anxious? What circumstances or situations should we look to and say, okay, when I get to that point in my life, then I can stress. Then I can be justified in being anxious and having a lack of faith in God. Well, when you say it like that, uh, there's really nothing, is there? Let's go back to Philippians 4. What does Paul say here? Do not be anxious about what? Anything. In other words, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in writing these words to the Philippians, he's saying, there is not a single circumstance or situation or problem that you will face as a believer that should cause you to be anxious and display a lack of faith in God. There are no circumstances. There's not a point in our life where we can look at our life and say, you know what, yeah, I'm, I'm really stressed out about this, I'm anxious, I'm worried, I'm fretting, this is consuming my thoughts, consuming my minds, but guess what, it's okay. God's cool with it. No, there won't be a circumstance like that. Do not be anxious about anything. And that leads me to ask, what are you anxious about today? From a worldly, humanistic, secular perspective, there are a lot of things we should be anxious about right now. Our church currently does not have a full-time elder. And a lot of people look at that and say, man, you guys need to be stressing out right now. You guys need to be really worried about it. How are you guys going to function as a church without an elder? But the thing that we must realize is that this is not the church of a pastor. This is the church of Christ. This is God's church. And we need to carry on and continue and seek to honor him and glorify him in our situation. This is not a time for anxiety. Maybe you're having a problem at work. Uh, Where I work, there's there's always a lot of drama. Always a lot of drama. And, you know, rumors go, go around about so-and-so getting fired or this person, you know, and all the stuff they did wrong and all this other stuff. And maybe that's a point that we struggle with, that I struggle with. The fact is there's not a place that we can be or should be uh, anxious or fretting or worried about how everything's going to work out. So how are we to handle our problems? How are we to approach this this issue of anxiety and stress as believers? I'm I'm very thankful that Paul did not stop with that exhortation. Because if he had stopped right there, um, I would have been totally out. I mean, you you can't count me out of that one. I mean, if this isn't a way to handle things, I'm not sure how to do it. But notice, he continues, Do not be anxious about anything. And what we're going to see in the latter part of the verse is the reasoning behind why he can say, do not be anxious about anything. Let's go on. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, 
by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The first thing that we see is this warning, this command to not be anxious. But the second part of this verse actually shows us a way that we can handle our problems. That something we have recourse, something to do with the issues and struggles and problems that face us on an everyday basis. So what is that solution? Uh, The solution, I think, is pretty obvious. It's prayer. He says, do not be anxious about everything. And notice how these two are, are linked inextricably. But in everything. In other words, he's saying, don't be, be anxious about nothing, but in everything, that same group of things that you should not be anxious about is the same group of things that you should be taking to the Lord and leaving it with him. We see the scope of our prayer, the occasion to, to our prayer, every situation. A lot of times we, uh, we only, talk, we, only, we only go to the Lord when we have those big problems, right? When we lose our job or, you know, the stock that we were banking on, you know, just all of a sudden falls through and we lose everything. That's a whole other thing to discuss entirely. But there are, there are circumstances where we, where we get into to those issues and those problems and we, we stress out, we get anxious, and then we decide at some point down the road, you know what, I'm going to take it to the Lord, I've exhausted everything that I can possibly think of to fix my own problem. Then maybe now I should go to the Lord. And um, when all else, I, I saw a sign, when, when all else fails, pray. And I'm like, wow, that is so backwards. Uh, we should be praying first. Taking every situation, every circumstance, every problem to the Lord, no matter how great or how small. So we see the occasion of prayer. He says, everything In everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. So we see the occasion to prayer. Every circumstance and every situation, that is an appropriate time to go before the throne of God. That is an appropriate time to call out to the Lord. This is a principle we see all throughout Scripture. Uh, Turn with me to Psalm 55. We're going to look at just a few examples. And there are many of these examples could be found in the Psalms. Uh, the psalmist is often in distress, often troubled, often uh, even seemingly not even willing or wanting to, de- to continue on with his life, at the point of despair. And many times we see the psalmist crying out to God, Oh Lord, help me, deliver me, save me. But notice Psalm 55 in verse 22, Scripture says, Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Cast your burden upon the Lord. Another one right along those lines, and probably one that's come to your mind already, is 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number 7. Casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. We're to bring our problems to the Lord and cast them upon Him. We shouldn't be wandering around in, in, in despair and in depression, just moping about and having a pity party and saying, woe is me and look what I'm going through. And man, such an awful circumstance. We should take our problems to God and leave them at His feet and wait on God. Hebrews chapter 4. That's another passage that brings this out. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 15 and 16. Scripture says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Aren't you thrilled that we have a high priest who is sympathetic to the problems that we go through? When we go and bear our burdens and pour out our hearts before God, We don't have to worry that we're talking to some distant being who does not know the struggles of this life. The Bible says that he endured them yet without sin. We have a sympathetic high priest, Jesus Christ, our mediator. Scripture is telling us systematically throughout 
that we are to cast our burdens upon God. That we're to take our problems, our cares, our worries, our fears to God and leave them with him. Scripture says that God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. The fear and the anxiety that we have inside, that is not a spirit that's sent from God. That is not something that God gives to us. That is what we have naturally. That's our, our sinful nature, our lack of faith displaying itself. So we see the occasion to prayer. When should we go to Christ? When should we call out to Him? In every circumstance, in every situation. The second thing that we see is uh, the content of our prayer. What, what are we to pray How are we to pray? In Philippians chapter 4, he says, In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. There are four words here that are used to describe our attitude and our actions in coming before God and casting our cares upon Him. The first one, the first two that we find, and I'll include them together because they're often found together, is Uh, Prayer and supplication. It says, In everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. So, what is this prayer and supplication? uh, Isn't the Apostle Paul being a little bit redundant here? Couldn't he just say, By by prayer, let your requests be made known to God? Why does he include both of them? The first word, prayer, is is the word used in, in the New Testament to refer to a uh, a general term for approaching a deity. And specifically, as the New Testament uses it, uh, a general way to refer to approaching God and calling out to Him. Prayer refers our addressing God. But it says by prayer and supplication. So, what is the supplication? This, uh, the word supplication is a, is a more specific term, not, specific, not talking generally about prayer or talking about prayer in a general way, but it's a more specific term talking and referring to petitions that we bring before the Lord based upon an urgent need. This term is often used uh, in, in secular writings of that time period. Uh, to refer to a, a supplication where one man goes to another man and says, hey, I'm in need. I have a problem. I have an urgent thing that's, 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 bo- that's uh, bothering me or that I need help with. Can you help me? But here he uses the terms prayer and supplication together, making no questions in this, in this text about who we are to go to for help. He says, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. We're to go to Him. So in everything by prayer and supplication, we are to bring our petitions and our requests, our problems, our our troubling circumstances to the Lord and have Him handle them for us. But He doesn't just say prayer and supplication. A lot of times we go before the Lord and we are very specific. I think there, there there is a time and a place for that. Uh, when Peter uh, started sinking uh, on the Sea of Galilee, he didn't call out to, to Christ and say, well, God, I thank you because of your nature, because you are holy and righteous and perfect. He didn't do all that. He cried out a very simple prayer, Lord, save me. And there is a time and a place for that. But many times we, we treat that as the norm, as the normative way of approaching God, instead of the exceptional way of approaching God. In other words, we, we do that on a regular basis. We come before the Lord and we rush in and out of His presence, only bringing to Him the things that we desire, only bringing before Him our petitions, our requests. But He doesn't stop at prayer and supplication, He says, but in everything by prayer and supplication, and then there's these two words that make all the difference in the world, with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. In everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. In Psalm 50, verse 14 and 15, the psalmist here says, Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving, and perform your vows to the Most High, and call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you. 
and you shall glorify me. Thanksgiving makes all the difference in the world. You say, why is that? When we approach God and simply bring to him our problems and throw at him what we believe to be the proper solution and ask him to do what we feel is best, uh, we are totally missing out and totally approaching God with a, with a low view of God. If we come before the Lord and say, okay, God, here's my problem. You know, I've, I've got this debt. I've got this stuff going on. You know, I'm on this really crunch. Now, just, just, I mean, a couple thousand dollars would be awesome here right now, God. I mean, if you could just provide that for me, that'd be great. Okay, thank you. We are, we are completely forgetting to think back on all the times that God has provided. How many times do you offer up a prayer in a, in a, a time or a rush time and, and only bring your request before God and never even t- take time to think back upon what God has already done for you, how God has proven himself in the past? One of the, most, uh, the best ways to spend your time is to reminisce about all the things that God has done for you. I, uh, I heard about a, uh, an evangelist, um, I can't remember his name to save my life right now, but he, um, he had something that he and his wife used to do in their, in their home, and they would take these uh, shadow boxes. Does everyone know what a shadow box is? Nobody knows what a shadow box is. I see a couple of heads nodding. Okay. So what, what he would do is he would take these shadow boxes, and in extraordinary circumstances in their life where they saw God miraculously work, he would create a scene in the shadow box that would cause them to recall the circumstance that they had in their life. And he said, before we knew it, we had a lot of these little shadow boxes on our wall. And we could look at one and think back about what God has done for us and how God delivered us, how God provided for us when, when provision seemed impossible. One thing that... Uh, that the uh, children of Israel were encouraged to do in the Old Testament. Remember when they crossed over Jordan, they were to put an altar on the side of Jordan. There was to be stones in the the middle of Jordan. And what was the purpose of those stones? The purpose of those stones was when when a a family was there, when a child looked at those stones and says, Hey, Dad, what are these, what does this pile of rocks here mean? Why, I mean, they're all set up in a, why, why why are these rocks here? He says, then you can take your children and recall the provision and the deliverance that I gave to you. Folks, if we are not thanking God for what he has done, we are greatly in error in our worship to the Lord. Matthew Henry, I I saw an interesting quote while studying for this. He said, we must not only seek supplies of good from God, but we own the receipts of mercy. In other words, we come to the Lord and we say, God, we need your help. We need you to do something wonderful here. But often we forget to bring up the other times and say, you know what, God, you did this and you worked this out and you provided for my family here and you, you healed our child here and you, you delivered me from sickness or from this, this job I was stuck. God, you've done so many wonderful things for me. Thank you. Thank you. Thanksgiving recognizes God's past blessings on us. And gives us confidence that God will remain faithful and do what he said he would do. But the only basis for true thanksgiving is a recognition that God is working out his plan and his purpose in this world and in our lives. The, um, I mentioned this in Sunday school in passing, and I, I, I am completely honest when I, when I say this. The two past sermons that we've heard last Sunday and the previous Sunday from Pastor Steve Martin have been such an encouragement and a help. Our basis for thanksgiving is not rooted in God's general desire to see people in good times. There are many people that would have you think that. The prosperity gospel preaches that today. God wants you to be healthy and wealthy and have all the things that you need and lack nothing and not get sick and all of these other things. That's not what God has told us in his word. The basis that we have for thanksgiving is God's promise to us that he will complete the work that he has begun, that he is working out his plan and his purpose, and that as Romans 8.28 clearly states, all things work together for good to them that love God and to them who are called according to his purpose. 
God works all things in our lives for our good and for his glory. You say, man, I, I just, I'm doubting that right now. I don't see the good. I don't see the, the benefit that I'm supposed to glean from this current situation in my life. That's because we're short-sighted. That's because we don't see the whole picture, but God sees the entire picture. And all things do work together for our good. So thanksgiving, we must be a thankful people. Coming before God, not simply rushing into his presence and, and as like a Christmas list, jotting out all the things that we want and saying, here, uh, but we must come into the presence of God thanking him and praising him and honoring him for who he is and what he has already done in our lives. This is an important and integral part of having victory over anxiety and fear, is thanking God for what he has done. So we see prayer and supplication accompanied by thanksgiving. The fourth part is, is uh, the part that I think we most often engage in. It says, let your requests be made known unto God. In everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Why would we need to go before the Lord and tell him about our needs? Why would we need to go before the Lord and, and talk to him about the things that, that we have that we want to see him do? The Bible, we clearly read in Matthew chapter 6, your father knows what things you have need of before you ask him. So what purpose is there in going before the Lord and, and telling him? Well, number one, we're commanded to. And we could probably just stop right there and not even cover any of the reasons, but when we pour out our heart to God, we are showing him our concerns, we are showing him our, the, the struggles that we have, we are bearing out our very soul and our very being to him. And he loves to hear the prayers of his children. We are commanded to pray. We are commanded to go before the Lord and to bring our requests, to bring our petitions. And we must do that. Come before God. Often when we come before God, we see how frivolous our, our requests and petitions are. Have you ever gone to pray for something and as you're about to pray for it, you're like, wow, that is the worst thing to pray for. That's not what I need right now. When I was a, a teenager, my... Um, my, uh, my favorite car was always the Pontiac Trans Am. Beautiful car. It doesn't matter what year. It could be, it could be an old car. It could be a brand new one. Well, not anymore. But um, that was my favorite car. And um, I was talking to someone, and they were like, man, man, just pray for it. Pray, just pray for it, and God's going to give it to you. And so I, I started praying for it, and they, they said, just pray, pray for you know, however long it takes for God to give you that car. I prayed for that like for two days, and then I realized... I'm praying for a Trans Am. Like, uh, I don't think I need this right now. I don't think God would want me to have this. Uh, but sometimes we come before the Lord and, and the request that we're bringing him, and from our human perspective, from our flawed understanding, we see the folly of that when we bear out our hearts to God and say, Lord, fulfill this petition, fulfill this request that I'm asking of you. But God has commanded we are to bring our requests and our desires most often when we come before the Lord, and I, I've known many a time where I've come before God and bringing what I thought to be the best scenario, go away, walking, walking away from that and saying, you know what, God's totally changed my heart. I don't even want what I wanted before. That's not, that wasn't a good, righteous, pure desire that I had. Uh, God wants something better. God wants something holier. God wants me to be sanctified in my life. So, But we do need to request. We do need to bring our, our requests before the Lord. And bring him our problems. Bring him our struggles and desires. And lastly, we see the, what is the object of our prayer? Who are we praying to? Lest we forget, we're not to bear out our problems and our struggles to others. We are to support one another. We are to bear one another's burdens. That was part of what a church body is there for, but... The, the time of prayer, and specifically when talking about anxiety and worrying, he says, let your request be made known to God. There was a, um, a very wealthy man that, uh, that my family knew. 
he had a, um, a very, a very lucrative business, and God had blessed him immensely. And uh, he was uh, very generous with, uh, with his finances. And if he saw a need and he said, hey, I'd, I'd like to meet that need, he often did. And in very big ways sometimes. Uh, there were some points that were uh, preachers that didn't have a, a solid means of transportation. He would go out and he'd buy a brand new car and give it to them. Just go up to him and hand him the keys and say, here you go, enjoy. And he was known for that. He enjoyed doing that. It's very funny, though, how a lot of the times the conversation with him often turned to somebody's need or somebody's want or something that they thought was necessary for their life. And so we, you know, you'd, ha- you'd hear a, a pastor or someone come up to him and say, oh, man, you know, I'm just, man, my, my, uh, whew, man, my, uh, my fifth wheel or my, my truck or my car, or, man, this thing, it's, man, it's, it's, it's on its last leg. It's about to go right out. And I'm thinking, uh, who are you praying to again? Who are you taking your request to? One, uh, one, one interesting example, I, I think uh, we could all recognize an example of this would be George Mueller. Uh, George Mueller was um, an Englishman. Uh, he was a, a minister. Many people don't know that he traveled around in many different countries. He was fluent in several different languages and uh, George Mueller uh, started an orphanage. It started actually in his home, uh, and him and his wife took in 30 uh, orphans, 30 girls, to stay in their home. Well, the neighbors stu- soon started complaining about all the noise, and so he decided, well, you know, we, we need a separate location that is secluded uh, to, to do this. But George Mueller was of the conviction that he would never, ever ask any person for anything, in fact, if you were very wealthy and you went to George Mueller and you said, hey, you know, I've, what do you guys need? Um, he had committed not to tell. He would say, just, just give as, as you feel the Lord wants you to. He would make known that there is a need and there is a way to help in the, in the work of God, if you so see fit. But he wouldn't specify what was needed. It is very interesting to read through uh, his biography and see all of the instances where God specifically provided in very specific ways that nobody knew about. Uh, some, some famous examples of this is when uh, the orphans were sitting down uh, for breakfast and they had absolutely no food. None. Uh, and it just so happened that somebody came and knocked on the door and said, hey, you know, I, I just wanted to come by and I thought you guys might need some bread. And so uh, he gave them a bunch of bread, enough to feed everyone. And at the same time, there was a, uh, a wagon, milk wagon that was out front whose wheel broke and they couldn't continue and deliver all the milk. And so therefore, do you guys want this milk? It's going to go bad. Can you guys use it? And God provided for them in many, many specific ways. We could take all the rest of the afternoon, and, and go in a lot of different specific ways where God provided. There, he gives one example in, in uh, one of his journals. He, he wrote and said this, A brother in the Lord came to me this morning, and after a few minutes of conversation, gave me 2,000 pounds for furnishing the new orphan house. Now, now I am able to meet all of the expenses. In all probability, I will even have several hundred pounds more than I need. The Lord not only gives as much as, as, as is absolutely necessary for his work, but he gives abundantly. This blessing filled me with inexplicable delight. And notice this last part. He had given me the full answer to my thousands of prayers during the past 1,195 days. If you want to talk about persistence in prayer... How often do we have a burden on our heart and we bring it to the Lord once and then we leave it? But we must persistently and consistently bring our requests before God because we are coming to the Creator God, the one who created and sustains all things. When I was in Bible college, I was advised by someone, and I can't remember what class it was, but I think this is really good advice, generally speaking. They said something to this effect. If you have a problem that that you know about, don't go and talk about the problem to someone who doesn't have the power to fix it. 
And when you apply that to our, our lives, we have problems, we have issues, we have stresses, we have shortcomings, we have failures. Who should we go to to bear our hearts out and to share our burdens, our troubles? We should go to God. He is the only one that can deliver. He is the only one that can get us through those circumstances. George Mueller once said this. He said, The beginning of anxiety is the end of faith. And the beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. I think there's a lot of truth in that. So we see what we are to do. We're to pray. But lastly, and very quickly, what is the result of the prayer? Yes, God calls us to pray. He calls us to, through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, Bring our request to God. But what then? This uh, command here found in Philippians 4 also comes with a promise. The promise is found in verse number 7. And, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What a wonderful promise. The peace of of God. Do you want to have the peace of God in your life? Then stop trying to handle your own problems and bring them to God. Do you want to be free from anxiety? With prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, bring your request to God and leave them with Him. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will keep or guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. First thing we see about the peace of God is its magnitude. The peace of God, and I love this next, this next three words, or four words, which surpasses all understanding. That means it's contrary to your human viewpoint. You bring a problem to the Lord, and you cast it at his feet, and the peace that he gives will be so far beyond what you could even understand or comprehend. I've, I've never, and in fact, I've, I've, I think in... Um, the last time I preached, not the last time, but the previous time on Habakkuk, um, I did tell this story. Uh, but I'll just briefly reiterate for you again. When, when my wife was expecting Brooke, she had major pregnancy complications. And uh, I've never failed to blame Brooke for that. No. She had a lot of problems with the pregnancy. Um, she had to be hospitalized multiple times. And the worst part about it is they couldn't figure out actually was what was wrong. And uh, for those that have had medical problems or being in the medical field, that is the worst part about it all. If you don't know what's going on, that is so far more stressful than knowing what's going on and just not, not seeing it fixed yet. But we were in two different hospitals. Nobody could figure out what was going on. And at the time, I was working a full-time job at Pizza Delivery at Pizza Hut, working at Dunkin' Donuts. Yeah, I was a fast food worker. Um, very busy in school full-time working 60 hours a week, going to school full-time, and also helping out in the church on the weekends. And uh, I will never forget, my wife called me at 3 o'clock one morning, and uh, I was there making donuts by myself. And uh, she was in tears, in tears, uh, in so much pain. And uh, I just, I, I, at that point, I came to the end of myself. And I took a break from what I was doing. I'm like, I don't even care if I burn all the muffins and bagels. I couldn't, couldn't care less right now. I'm going to sit down. And I sat down, and I was crying. And I prayed, and I said, God, I have no idea what's going on right now. I have no control over the circumstance. I, I, I am clueless. I, we have come to the end of myself. I, my understanding, the doctor's understanding, nobody knows what's going on. But you know what's going on. And I said, God, please, please help us. And I've always read this passage of Scripture and read verse number 7 and been, yeah, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. Man, that's great. But I never fully experienced what it really means until that day. I was scared to death. I had no idea what was going to happen. I thought we might lose our child. I thought, we, I thought Heather's life could be in danger. I didn't know what was going on. But at that moment, God gave me his peace that I still, to this day, cannot even explain to you. 
And it seemed that just the instant I prayed, I was overwhelmed with the fears and the anxieties just scattered. They were gone. And I felt such a calm within my heart and within my mind. This is a magnificent peace that God can give. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding does it work as well. It says it will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Guard us from what? That word guard um, has the, uh, the background of, of guards standing at the gate of the city. Making sure that the, the city is protected and that they see who's going in and coming out. And Philippi was a very military-minded city. But the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. And it's not explicitly stated how it will guard your hearts and minds, but when we come to God and we cast our cares at his feet, he will guard us from, I think most importantly, guard us from sin in that scenario. He will keep us on the straight and narrow. He will protect us. He will give us that peace. He will allay our fears. And he will keep us, our minds, our understanding, our experience, he will work all things for our good and for his glory. And so I would, I would ask of you, what area in your life are you completely stressing out about right now? And I think we would all be lying to a certain extent if we said there are no areas that we are anxious about right now. What thing are you stressed out about right now? Bring it to God. Come before his presence and bear out your heart and soul to him. Thank him for what he has done. Praise him for who he is and for what he's accomplished in our lives. And let him know, God, I need help here. Bring your request before him. And scripture promises the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. What is it that you're stressing about? Do not be anxious. Only believe and call out to the Lord. Let's pray.